Good morning, day or night, wherever you're on the world. Welcome to the Surviving a Drive podcast. Today we are discussing Le Grand Prix de France. This is your favorite source of American-based F1 conversation, presented by me, Alex, and my co-host, Tyler. Let's race into it. Whee! So that was actually a, uh, a pretty good French Grand Prix this year. I think normally in the past it's something that, uh, and we kind of talked about it before, is usually not the most exciting race, but what, were your, what are some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, I definitely think the tire strategy has become more of a theme this year and uh, has definitely made for some more interesting races and kind of kept us on our toes today. Yeah, I think going into it, I think me and you personally thought, uh, just based on the track, it, we were hoping it was going to be a two-stop at least and maybe even a three-stop, but I think we saw um, the tire deck be not as bad as I think most of the teams thought it was going to be. Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of them were allowed to go or were able to go a little bit further in the race than than expected and uh, a little safety car helped out and got him able to go to the end there with one stop. Yeah, so we'll go ahead and start uh, by reading through the finishing order of the race. So we had on the podium, we had Max P1, Hamilton P2, and George P3. Uh, and then we had Perez, Sainz, Alonso, Norris, Ocon, Ricardo, Stroll rounding out the points, Vettel, Gasly, Albon, Bottas, and Mick Schumacher. And then we had quite a few DNFs, uh, a lot of them under the radar. We had Joe, Latifi, Magnuson, Leclerc, obviously more of a pronounced one this race, and Sonoda. Yeah, quite a few of them kind of just snuck into the pits and, and retired. We had, I think Joe and Leclerc were the only ones that were really a stoppage. Yeah, obviously Leclerc had the had the big crash going out uh, in that last sector there. But yeah, I think Joe, I don't really know what exactly happened to him that he had to retire. I know he damaged his front wing on, on the lap before, I think, uh, with that collision with Mick, but I'm not exactly sure why he ended up having retired because he got that replaced. Uh, and then Latifi and Sonoda just, yeah, kind of disappeared into the pits uh, and didn't come back out. That's I think we were talking about this kind of classic Latifi to just kind of be stowed away and no one really knows what happened. And they didn't even show it. It just showed that he was out of the race at a certain point. Yeah, he pitted at the same time as Signs there and... And he kind of stuck around and signs went off into uh, the lead lap there. But yeah, it was interesting. Really, really a tough race for the bottom five teams there, other than Stroll coming home with a, a singular point, but not much other than that. Yeah, I think that was the only point, like you said, uh, across all five of the teams. Um, the Alfa Romeos both looked very slow today. They just had no pace, even though Joe DNF, like him and Bottas, were just kind of nowhere to be found. Um, you know, you have Haas where they try to do the two pit stop strategy and just, just not backfired completely with that safety car early on from Leclerc. Uh, Williams, no pace as well. And then uh, the Alpha Tories also just, you know, Gasly kind of hung around there near the points, but never really was able to close that gap. And Sonoda did look good um, in qualifying and kind of looked quick all weekend, but had that unlucky collision with, with Ocon where Ocon ended up getting a penalty and that kind of ruined his race. Yeah, there was a few things in qualifying we saw that, that kind of made the race a little bit shocking. And uh, up there on, on top is probably the Haas pace that was kind of flashed there and then pulled back, obviously, from Mick. And we'll get into that here in a second. But I was kind of expecting more from the race from them. Yeah, I think so, too. I think, obviously, you know, Mick had that, that lap time, ended up getting deleted to kind of put him into Q2. But Magnussen uh, had to start from the back. Him and Sainz both did with the uh, engine penalties and getting a whole new power unit, basically. But... Uh, Magnuson was able to put it into Q3, and they did look pretty quick, and I thought in the race they'd be able to fight back through the field and maybe make it into the points, but they were kind of lacking all day. Yeah, and, and both of them had a bit of contact, and uh, Mick had a pretty big spin there, and yeah, just really an unfortunate 
kind of play out for them, especially after they committed to that two stop at the beginning and the and the safety car came out, kind of ruined their strategy off the off the jump. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think looking at some other qualifying qualifying highlights, um, you know, Gasly's home race, I think, kind of had high expectations coming in. He looked great in the free practices all weekend. Yeah, a couple of them putting him in the top seven and. I thought he'd be able to get it into Q3 this weekend, but I think it's a surprise exit for him in Q1, especially with Sonoda finishing in the top 10 in qualifying. Um, and then also in Q1, you had Albon spinning. I think it might have actually only been twice, but it felt like a million times. It felt like every push lap he did, he just spun, which was tough to see. Because um, I think it would have been, I think he always is kind of a wild card where if you, you could get him to put it into Q2 on a more consistent basis, but just was never able to get a lap together. Yeah, it was kind of unfortunate for him. He was kind of able to hook it up and was looking pretty good in, in some of the free practice sessions up there in the top 10. But yeah, not really able to, to hook one up in qualifying. Um, other than that, though, we saw some some pretty interesting things going on up front, especially in Q3. Like we talked about, Magnuson and Signs were rapid, but uh, unfortunately, both of them taking some penalties this weekend. So they uh, ended up at the back of the grid. But Signs still coming out in Q3 after getting through to, to help his teammate went over pole there at the end and um yeah pretty interesting strategy from the two and, and great to see them working together like that yeah i think it was nice to see i think it, it kind of takes you back to um to abu dhabi last year where perez kind of gave that toe to max during qualifying and helped him put it on pole there mm-hmm. um so it's smarter for to actually do that and have signs go out knowing regardless of where he'd finish he'd be at the back of the pack anyways to help charles get pole um and i think the other you know highlight from q3 was lando putting it in p5 you know splitting the two mercs i think a lot of people didn't expect that mm-hmm. i think we all thought um the top five would be the one ferrari the two red bulls and the two mercs but lando was was great all weekend and great in practices and then qualifying had a had an awesome lap there yeah that was pretty pretty awesome to see him pulling it over right at the end there and uh really interesting because i think a lot of people are expecting a lot out of the mercedes this weekend especially with the the upgrades that were highly talked about and Really, a lot of teams came with uh, a lot of upgrades in, in some of these European races. They're able to turn them over a little quicker, and so uh, a little more expectation out of a lot of teams. And uh, we saw a little bit of that in the, in the race, and uh, Mercedes closing the gap just a little bit up front and um, some good battles down the down the list. Yeah, so I guess kind of going into the race here, um, you know, starting with some race highlights right off the bat. Uh, Hamilton, another great start. Yeah. Race similar to Great Britain, uh, was able to just – almost instantaneously get ahead of Perez. It was one of the better starts I've seen uh, and make his way into, into P3 there. Uh, Alonso coming all the way back from, I believe, seventh on the grid to start uh, and putting it up into fifth, getting past uh, Russell and Norris and then challenging Perez there for fourth, actually, for a little bit. Uh, and Magnuson, a great start as well, started in 20th, and I think after the first lap, he was up in 14th or 13th. So, Yeah, yeah, a very good start for him and uh, a few others, like you mentioned, and uh, I think one of the more impressive things in the first couple laps was Hamilton really starting to build the gap on Perez behind him. And, uh, you know, over the past few races, we've seen the straight line pace of, of the Red Bulls and uh, kind of surprising that they weren't able to, to get past Hamilton at the beginning there. But um, maybe some, some tire strategy going on there and uh, up front, definitely a pretty interesting battle to watch. I think you know, in the in the TV coverage, we missed a lot of the midfield batters, battles there at the at the beginning, but um, we did eventually see Sonoda getting spun after Ocon gave him a little tap there, and uh, some penalties coming out of that, and really quite a few penalties, uh, I think, for uh, a pretty straightforward circuit like that, and, and a track that we don't usually see uh, penalties like that from. Yeah, I think you saw a lot of people after that that second DRS trait 
uh, straight, taking a lot of risk going into that chicane there. Um, obviously, you know, later in the race, we saw Russell and Perez have some contact there. And mm-hmm. I think we had a lot of cars kind of take that, that dive bomb chance there to go in. And that's what Ocon did there. And it obviously didn't work. and ended up getting a penalty from it, um, which he ended up lucking out because of the safety car. He actually didn't have to, you know, lose that much time from it. But yeah. Um, I think it it really was tough to see for Sonoda. I think he had a very good weekend all weekend, and he's been kind of progressing and getting better and better every week. And I think he was on for points today, potentially had he been able to kind of keep it clean there and not have that little spin. I think he probably could have finished ninth or 10th, and or and I definitely probably would have taken that last spot from Stroll. But um, it was just tough to see. You know, Ocon took a risk, and it, it didn't pay off, uh, and it ended up ruining Sonoda's race. Yeah, and Sonoda's taken a lot of unfortunate luck uh the past few races you know not not really finishing too well or, or very able to show much of his uh a pace recently especially with some of the reliability issues that they've had uh, throughout the season so far but yeah like you said some other unfortunate uh luck there was Haas committing to that stop like we mentioned earlier and uh and then Charles you know kind of just bending it there at the at the end of the uh, end of his lap there when he was pushing after Max decided to pit so uh, you know, him going out kind of changed up the race, changed up uh, the front order there and started some chaos with uh, with some pit stops. Yeah, I think uh, it was very tough, Stephen Charles. Just I think he had ended up admitting that it was kind of his fault. He lost it. I know he had trouble with the throttle there on trying to like basically apply it to kind of get out of the spin and not put it in the wall. But either way, it, you know, it was his mistake and it obviously cost him a ton of points because he was looking like he would probably finish and win the race. Um, but yeah, the, that ended up opening a big opportunity for everybody who hadn't pit. So Verstappen actually pit, I believe, two laps before that. Um, so he got kind of unlucky with the timing of it, but he was able to close the gap enough that he still came out in P1. Um, but, you know, Hamilton, Perez, Russell, all of them, signs, all of them pit during, under that safety car and went onto the hard tire and from there executed the one stop. Um, but I think the the most interesting thing from that safety car and what kind of really affected the end results was signs getting that that penalty right so coming out of the for those of you who didn't watch coming out of the pits uh he had kind of a slow stop with ferrari and then tried to come out unsafe release right in front of albon and almost hit albon and so as a result of that signs got a five second penalty which he ended up serving in his pit stop later in the race but yeah it was a really odd stop i think he was stuck up on the back jack there and uh once he got out he almost put it right into the side of albon and then uh, we almost saw the same thing with, I believe it was an Alpine right after that. And uh, just kind of an interesting little series there, but everybody diving into the pits with that safety car coming out and uh, really starting some chaos for us. So making it a little more entertaining, which can't complain about. Oh yeah, that's for sure. And I think like we touched on earlier, uh, this safety car pretty much helped everybody except for Haas, right? Mm-hmm. So Haas committed to the two-stop early, which um, I think... B- Barring no safety car could have been a smart strategy yeah. Um, because it would have, you know, I think teams might have would have seen the pace and been like, oh, this is something we could do, but committed to it too early. And then they ended up stopping again under the safety car uh, for another set of tires. And they, they pretty much just kind of reset their position to where they were both at the back and just were not able to make any progress from that. Yeah. And then, you know, pretty boring few stints there, just watching them uh, go around pretty cleanly, but had a couple of retirements mixed in there and, and saw the likes of Sonoda and Magnuson and Latifi uh, DNFing there and retiring their cars. And then pretty quickly after that, we saw Joe and Mick have contact. And uh, I believe Mick went, spun around and 
uh, kind of ruined his race. Not that he was in much of a position to, to push forward, but uh, unfortunate for, for both of them. And Joe ended up retiring his car as well, but wasn't able to make it all the way around to the pits. So uh, we had a little yellow flag virtual safety car uh, going around and a pretty interesting restart there. I think that's something that uh, we don't see too often with, with drivers being on top of it, but I think Perez maybe lost out a bit. Yeah, I think that was one of the better restarts I've seen from a driver and out of George, and I think it was probably the most pivotal part of the race because at that point, everything kind of been sorted out. You had Max 10 seconds ahead of Lewis, and then Lewis another 6 or 7 seconds ahead of, of Perez in third place, so those two places are kind of locked in there at that point, but yeah, so we had uh, a VSC basically caused by um, Zoe stopping on the track and having to retire. It was a quick VSC because they were able to just pull him onto the escape road right away, but um, what you saw on the restart basically is, and for those of you that don't know, under a virtual safety car, you have to keep to a certain delta. I think it's like 40% of a certain speed basically is what it's at, and you kind of keep that through the lap. Um, but there's a ways to, as a driver, to make up the gap or have the gap increase behind you if you play the safety car or virtual safety car right. Uh, and so what George actually did is, you know, Perez kind of stuck to that max delta and, like, didn't, you know, exactly what the delta should have been. Uh, George actually slowed down six or seven tenths from Perez uh, right before it was about to go green again and then floored it basically so that he didn't have the wheel spin and he was basically going you know quite a bit faster on on go than Perez was because Perez was stuck at that delta while George was started slower ended faster but the overall delta was still the same and so coming out of that final turn he was able to basically catch him off guard and catch Perez kind of sleeping and get past him right away and didn't give the lead back up from there. Yeah, it really made it look like Perez was, was just kind of out of it, but I think really a good good job from George there and, and clever thinking to to back it up and have the run on him and not catch the wheel spin like we saw Perez uh, have a lot of, actually, on that on the restart there, uh, trying to floor it and, and get away pretty cleanly. But, uh, yeah, switch of positions there for the last podium spot, but... Kind of all this time we saw signs trying to come back through the order. He had a pretty late pit stop, which was uh, kind of a questionable decision, but I think in the end the right one with him going that long on the mediums and, and some graining already showing up there. Uh, but, yeah, watching him fight back was pretty interesting. I think he got past uh, Ricardo and one of the Alpines really quick and then started closing on Alonso and uh, got through Norris again. And uh, Really, really fun to watch him come through. Kind of unfortunate that he wasn't able to, to get up a little bit higher, but a pretty good race on his his end. Yeah, so Signs looked great all weekend. Uh, in my opinion, he was the fastest man on track, and I think that Q2 lap really showed that, and I think had he you know not had the end of penalty stuff, he would have fought for pole probably and could have won this race. Uh, so it was a great weekend from him. Obviously, unlucky with that unsafe release, uh, or he probably would have gotten a podium, but um, I think it was really interesting at the end where, you know, they did did end up having to pit him. They thought he was going to get a puncture, and he would have had to go a lot of laps in those mediums to finish that race. So, um, but he came back out and was by far the quickest man on track. Uh, I think he came out. Uh, the gap between Alonso and Russell at the time was like twenty seconds, and then you had three or four cars in between him and Alonso. Still, yeah. he makes gets past all those cars, and then he closes the gap to Russell like 11 seconds at the end of the race so he basically made up like 20 seconds or so at the end of the race and i don't know super impressive you know i know he pit with i think six or seven laps left so to be three seconds quicker a lap than everybody on track is unbelievable i obviously everyone had pretty worn tires at that point and had been on a one stop and he was on fresh mediums but i definitely think had he not had the engine penalties this weekend 
he was definitely on it for a win. Yeah, he, he was looking really good all weekend, like you said. And I think that kind of takes us into some of our driver highlights and maybe our top three drivers of the weekend. Uh, uh, I don't know if you want to get started. I know Signs was one of yours, so you can go ahead on that one. Yeah, so I'll go ahead and start with uh, Signs being my first driver of the weekend. I think, you know, just from beginning to end, he looked awesome. It was just unfortunate he had all those engine penalties, but, you know, that was going to come at some point during the year. Um, but I think he just did a great job in practice. And then in qualifying, you know, they kind of talked about it in the post-race show too. That last lap he did at the end of Q2 was unbelievable. And I think if he would have been able to replicate that in Q3, he probably would have been on pole. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a great job fighting through the field, uh, you know, kept it clean. He had some awesome overtakes too. And so I think overall it was a positive weekend for him. You know, it sucks that he had that penalty and uh, for the unsafe release. But I think overall he just looked dominant all weekend with – what he had and bring it from 19th up to fifth with the fastest lap two was kind of the best he could have done today because of that penalty. And I think had he not had the penalty would have definitely been on the podium for sure. Yeah. Um, and so my second driver of the weekend uh, would be Lando Norris. I think again, like we've talked about all year with him, just the been consistently pretty much the best of the rest. He's just continued to take the McLaren as high as it possibly can. Um, you know, putting it P five and qualifying and splitting the Mercs was super impressive. I think he looked good in practice all weekend, too, and uh, he continues to get the most out of the car, and I think we continue to see that gap between him and Ricardo just show up every single weekend. Yeah. Um, but he looked great in the race. He kept it consistent. Uh, you know, it didn't have the best start, but uh, was able to finish uh, You know, pretty much where he started. He finished in, started P5, finished P7. Um, I thought Simon's going to get ahead of him anyway, so really only one spot lower than kind of where I thought he would finish. But, um, yeah, it just continues to kind of prove that of the rest of the teams, I think he's probably that, that top driver and is getting maximizing the points that he can get every weekend from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my third driver was going to be, which is kind of off the wall here, but Lance Stroll. Um, going into this weekend, I did not think either of the Aston Martins would be anywhere near the points. Yeah. Um, obviously, must have capitalized on the safety car and other mistakes, and there being five DNFs too, but he was able to keep it uh, in 10th and finishing the points. Uh, kind of going along with that, we saw a good – last lap battle between him and Vettel there at the end mm-hmm. uh, that got real dodgy going into that last turn. I know yeah. uh, Vettel almost ran into the back of him, but uh, overall from Stroll, I mean, just a good consistent race, didn't really make any mistakes and was able to get a point out of it. Yeah, definitely well done race from all three of those drivers. Um, Signs of Norris putting up some some very uh, good performances under pressure up, up front and then Stroll really just keeping it consistent like you were saying. Uh, my three, so I'll start off. Uh, Hamilton, I got to give give one of my spots to him. I think just a, uh, an overall great race, a great start, able to keep it consistent, kind of in a little bit of a no man's land. He was putting a little bit of pressure on Verstappen there at the beginning, but uh, fell away a little bit just because of the big difference in pace and the ability to keep away Perez and then keep George behind was, was also very impressive. So um, well done on his part and able to pull in a podium position, which is the fourth in a row, which is very impressive for where they started the season. So uh, great job from him and the team as well. And I, I'll get into my second, which is George Russell and uh, another one who, who was very consistent. And like we talked about, that restart was was pretty impressive, pretty cheeky from him and uh, yeah. pretty fun to see, honestly. It's a time of the race where uh, virtual safety cars are never really eventful, but uh, his ability to, to play some games there was, was kind of interesting to see. And then lastly, I got uh, Alonzo, who uh, has just had some really awesome races recently. He's been just on form. Uh, this is his sixth straight race in Q3. 
and also points. And he's been able to, to bring it home, especially after the beginning of the season where his luck just hadn't been going his way. And um, I know a lot of people have been talking about the points that he's been losing. And, you know, I think he can gain a could have gained a couple of spots on the driver's championship, but uh, still really consistent, really good performances, able to, to pull together some really impressive quality laps when that car maybe maybe shouldn't be up as high as he's starting. And, and his starts as well have all been pretty phenomenal. A lot of experience. Like we've seen, this is the, the most laps raced ever by a Formula One driver. So uh, pretty impressive to see him putting all of that experience to use. Yeah, I think Alonso continues to put together good performances and kind of, again, similar to Norris, kind of take that Alpine up a little bit, maybe higher than it should be. Um, I think their pro- Alpine probably has the fourth best car right now, and they're kind of solidifying that with consistent double points finishes. But he looked great all weekend. Um, kind of going into Alpine, I think Ocon looked good all weekend too. He uh, had a little bit of a tough qualifying exit, but was able to you know start the race in P10 and finish in P8. Um, he looked quick. They both looked quicker than the McLarens. He just couldn't get uh, Ocon just couldn't catch up to Lando just because of the gaps that Lando had built himself. But um, in terms of team highlights this weekend, I think you know. The three winning teams, in my opinion, are Merck, Alpine, and McLaren, and I think you would agree with that too. Uh, double finishes for all three of them. I think Alpine looked good all weekend and continues to maximize their points and has now jumped McLaren in the constructor standings by four points. Yeah. Um, and Alonso is kind of solidifying himself in that in that P10 spot of the driver's standings and making a run towards Bottas, who's in P9 currently. Uh, and then Ocon, you know, continues to kind of keep that gap consistent between him and Norris for, you know, what we would say would be the best of the rest. Uh, and then obviously Merck, uh, double podium finish, first one of the season. Uh, like you said, four podiums in a row for Lewis, and George looked great all day and had that, that sweet overtake at the end over uh, Perez. And then the McLarens, a double point finish as well. Uh, it was good to see Ricardo kind of make up some spots and you know keep it in the points there, and uh, just another good weekend from them. Yeah, and an- another one, Red Bull. I mean, uh, pretty consistent. Hard to continue to say that they've have been highlights, you know, but... Uh, but just good points finishing with that car first and fourth, you know, maybe not the the best performance that they were hoping for out of Perez, but uh, still able to to build that gap on Ferrari, which is uh, pretty uh, important going forward in in the uh, standings. And then, you know, a couple of uh, teams to highlight with downsides this weekend. I think Haas is a team that were looking to to have their third straight double points finish, which would have been the most ever in their team history, and. Uh, not able to pull it together, not really able to pull anything together. So an unfortunate weekend on their part. And then uh, also Ferrari having more not reliability issues this weekend, but um, just a big error there from Leclerc and huge implications on the standings going forward. So unfortunate to see kind of that, that lead gap grow, uh, something that I think a lot of fans want to see close like it was last year. Obviously, we're not going to see it that close for quite a long time, I'd imagine, but uh, we'd like to see it at least a little closer than it is right now. Yeah, so I think just kind of taking a quick look at the team standings and driver standings just to kind of check in, I think, you know, we see Max take a 63-point lead now over Charles. It seems like he's kind of starting to run away with this. Um, I was talking to you, you know, about, and you, like you mentioned last year, was obviously very close. You know, Lewis, uh, before that, the you know, the Silverstone race was down about 30 and kind of closed the gap there, and then it kind of went back and forth the rest of the season, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't think the gap ever got over 21 points. At any point the rest of the way, so to see it at 63 halfway through is is kind of tough. I think we were all hoping that they would be closer together at this point. Um, 
And it's interesting because I think we thought it would probably be flipped at this point based on how the beginning of the season started, but yeah. that's kind of turned on its head. Uh, and then kind of going down through the rest of the order, just some noteworthy things. Uh, Russell is now only one point back in of signs. Uh, I think, you know, Russell had been fourth for a while there and signs finally overtook him, but they're kind of battling back and forth now for that fourth place spot. Uh, and Hamilton's closing in on them fast as well. Uh, and then after Hamilton, you have a big drop off to the rest of the field. Uh, and kind of like we talked about Norris, kind of still that best of the rest there, but you have both the Alpine drivers that could potentially close out to him going through the rest of the season. And then uh, for, in terms of team standings, Red Bull just continue to widen the gap to Ferrari. It, uh, Constructors-wise, it seems almost locked up at this point. Um, the interesting thing, though, is Mercedes now 44 points back of Ferrari only. Um, and I think if you would have told us at the beginning of the season that halfway through Mercedes would only be 40 points behind and would have scored 270 points, I think neither of which I would have believed. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to see that Mercedes is able to be so consistent that they're able to put it up there. I think on merit, they definitely deserve to be in that P3 position, but they're really just letting the top two teams make their own mistakes, and that's what's dragging the top two teams back towards them. But, you know, Mercedes continuing to bring upgrades, continuing to to put in good performances. They have arguably the best driver lineup on the grid. Uh, I think it's a, you know, very good argument that you could make. And I agree. Uh, you know, you know, those two drivers just continue to bring in top five podium positions. Uh, no wins yet for them, but I'd imagine that it's uh, pretty close on the horizon here. Yeah. I think one, at least one of them is going to get a win at some point this year. Um, I think, you know, with 10 races left, you're going to have chaos in some way. You know, you look back at a race like Hungary last year, even where Ocon ended up winning because of the chaos on lap one. But uh, I think on either on merit or through a little bit of luck, one of them will least win. It's it's hard for me to, to say Lewis is going to go a season without winning a race because he's never done that. He's won a race in every season he's driven. Yeah. Uh, and George has been so consistent too. So I think they will continue to close it. Um, you know, I think at this point, you know, the constructors is probably out of reach unless they really, you know, turn it over and, make some massive gains, but you know, if they can keep making progress and stuff and then going into the next year, you could have where we have three teams, hopefully, obviously fighting for it at the top. Um, but I think overall, you know, you look at the standing, it's kind of those three have separated themselves. And then I think you kind of looking at Alpine and McLaren for that battle for best of the rest in terms of team. Um, and then, you know, going down the rest of the order, I think it's going to be Williams has kind of solidified themselves as the last pace team. And then I think those, Kind of that seven, eight, nine range, we could see that kind of flop around depending on how the season finishes and how these teams progress. Um, you know, with Haas being seventh right now, I think, you know, their goal would be to continue to move up, but they're just so inconsistent race to race. Yeah. And going back up to, to Mercedes, I think you brought up an interesting point. It, it's hard to think that Hamilton would not win a race. The The beginning of the season, he was a little bit, it seemed like out of form and George was able to outperform him. Do you think? That was because they had Hamilton trying different setups, or do you think George really turned it on and Hamilton is now starting to come into his own and, and starting to outperform George a little more? I think at the beginning, in my opinion, uh, I think George just I don't and I don't know if it's just how he adapted the car. I think he just like you know their new regs and stuff. I think he just got used to the car quicker and was able to kind of adapt his driving style as needed and made consistent. Obviously, Hamilton had a few unlucky things at the beginning of season two, but I think it was more that. And then as that after those first couple of races, I think, you know, Mercedes is like, hey, let's just try some different stuff on Lewis's car, which may have caused some mer- some more turmoil. But um, I think, you know, now he's getting more onto form, and I think now we're seeing kind of how what we thought it would be, where 
I think I think we, I personally I thought they would both be close to each other. I think you know four five five six two three like let's say however it was. But I think now we're seeing you know Hamilton take that next step and kind of be that guy to to lead the team. Yeah, I think it's definitely good for the team that Hamilton's turned it around and been able to be a little bit more of the leader here. But uh, yeah, very good to see them working together as a team uh, for sure. And very kind words coming from both of them about the other drivers. So good to see them both performing well and hopefully closing that gap here pretty soon. But yeah, like you said, you know, the, the team standings are, are kind of in a little bit of a static position, you know, it would take a lot for uh, McLaren and Alpine to, to start gaining on, on Mercedes. And then, uh, you know, once you get down the order a little further, teams are only getting, you know, three, four five points a race with both drivers because yeah. of the, the lower paying positions. So, uh, might be a little bit of a stretch to see some more movement there, but um, yeah, driver standings still still you know ten races to go. A lot of uh, of changes to come there, I'm sure. Yeah, and I think we saw some some key things happen today to affect those standings. So obviously, signs getting that that penalty for the unsafe release, you know, brings George a little close closer. And then you know, like we talked about in terms of kind of some of the better overtakes from this weekend, um, you know, signs. I think it was key that he got, even though he ended up having for the penalty, just to kind of solidify himself and not maybe fall back to Fernando on any of those in six and seven uh, with that penalty. He had that two awesome overtakes on Prez and Russell. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we saw just so much more grip out of him compared to everybody else and just looked so much quicker. So I think it was good to see um, some exciting overtakes on a track that there normally isn't that exciting racing. Uh, and then obviously to the restart pass by George was awesome. Yeah, I think, you know, the tire dig is, is something interesting to watch and brings it back to kind of the track and maybe maybe the, the heat was a little bit of a, a factor there. But overall, kind of what were your thoughts on the track there? Um, I think it, it was a more exciting race um, than we anticipated. You know, for me, the French Grand Prix is kind of one of my not as favorable tracks. I think you have such a large runoff area. Visually, it looks pretty cool with the different colors and stuff. But you have a big runoff area, so there's less chance of a safety car. It's not as tight, you know. There's a lot more opportunities for the drivers to save things, so you don't really get as much chaos. Uh, and other than maybe turn one, there's not in that chicane after the second DRS straight. There really isn't a lot of like, you know, high stress areas or areas where there's a lot of collisions or things like that. Um, so I think you know, typically, in my opinion, this race is a little more dull. Uh, there's just I don't know the atmosphere maybe too. It's just not as exciting. I think kind of everything around it. Um, and they've discussed you know this being the last year of the contract and the possibility of not returning here to France for the race uh, over the past few weeks. I know it's not everyone's favorite, but um, it'll be interesting to see what they do going forward with it if they do have the race. Uh, I think this year was a pretty solid race, and last year was a pretty exciting race too, but in general it seems to be kind of lacking. I don't know what your thoughts are, though. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things to to mention about this track is the length of the pit lane. And, it, you know, it kind of goes back and forth on if it makes it a more interesting race or not, because it does throw in a little bit more of a tire strategy importance and pit stop importance. Um, but it, it can also be more fun to watch more pit stops. I think when you get a two stop, a three stop race, if, you know, with yellow flags and red flags and things like that, uh, it can get a little bit more interesting to see a little bit more change in the order and cars maybe with a little bit better tire strategy uh, starting to roar past you get to see a lot more overtakes that way but uh, yeah yeah like you said there's just a lot of runoff not a lot of penalties for for drivers making mistakes and uh, I think that can make for a little bit more of a boring race but on the flip hand you know one of my least favorite tracks and I know this is a pretty hot take but 
Monaco, I've never really loved watching Monaco Grand Prix. I, I love all the hype around it, you know, and I, I get yeah. the, the really rich history there. And I think it's still a very impressive venue. Um, and, you know, obviously would love to see it someday. But the racing, when you get down to it, the racing is, um, it's never, it never really stacks up to other either purpose-built tracks or or uh, even a lot of the, the street tracks that we see. Yeah, I agree. I think the scenes around it and everything are what make it exciting for people, but the racing, not that great. Uh, and then for me, France is probably probably my least favorite just because it's so, like you said, there's not a lot of runoff. It's just, there's just less chance for exciting things to happen, right? Yeah. Um, some of my favorite tracks, so I think uh, Spa is probably my favorite. Uh, Spa or Brazil, those two are probably my top two. Uh, I think Spa is just a great track, a great layout, super long. You got a lot of high speed corners, slow, low speed corners. You got the, you know, Eau Rouge. You got just some great historical things with it, too. And then I think it's always exciting just the chance it always rains last year. You know, it rained out even last year. But um, I think that's one of my favorites. And then Brazil, too. Uh, Brazil might be a little recently biased just because of how awesome Hamilton was last week or last year yeah. over that course of that weekend. It was probably one of the best weekend ever by a driver. Uh, but I feel like there's always good races there. It's a very exciting track. It, there's a lot of action during the race, a lot of passes, and just a lot of memorable things that have happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then probably third for me on my list would probably be Silverstone. I think just the rich history. Again, always good races there too. And I think you know it being the start of where the first Formula 1 race was and kind of everything that goes with it, the fans are so passionate. Uh, we had an awesome race there again this year. It's probably in my top three tracks as well. Yeah, I think... You know, my, my top track, and we've talked about this before, is definitely Baku, and uh, I just love everything around Baku. You know, uh, the the circuit's just got kind of everything that you can ask for from a Formula One car between really tight sections in the castle section and kind of that last uh, couple of corners there, and then some really fast sections down that whole front straight, and uh, really love kind of the, the atmosphere that comes with that, and Obviously, the uh, national anthem, like we've talked about in, in that episode, if you haven't yes, heard about please, that. Yes, please check it out, people, the best national anthem. Definitely go check it out. Um, but beyond that, I think my second might be the Canadian Grand Prix. And uh, I, I just love that track. And I think that the hairpin and the long back straight leads to some really uh, awesome battles and overtakes, especially in that last chicane there. So uh, that's probably my second. And then my third is probably the South African Grand Prix at Kailami, I think, uh, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are excited to bring that back and hopefully uh, get that back on the calendar for next year. So I'm excited to see uh, where F1 decides to go with that. So why don't we go ahead and get into our race predictions and pre-quality predictions that we had going into this week. Uh, so I'll go ahead and start with my pre-quality ones. Uh, first, I had both McLarens in the Q3, um, which was right and wrong. I guess technically wrong because Ricardo was out in Q2, but starting order he did start in the top 10 yeah um and then i gasly top seven i think he looked really good all weekend in practice uh, and i thought just with it being his home race and kind of the energy that comes with that i thought he would you know have a really good qualifying and uh put it into the top seven at least but he ended up going out in q1 yeah it seems like that car has kind of been going backward all season so unfortunate for him at home not to be able to to get up there and in, in the race either so uh, my pre-quality predictions were uh, both Mercedes in the top five and Leclerc gets the pole. Obviously, Charles came out with the pole and uh, Mercedes nearly pulled the top five there with uh, Norris splitting the two of them. They ended up in four and six, so uh, pretty close there. But 
not on the money. But for the race predictions, I decided to go with my top three as Charles, Max, and Perez uh, in that order. I thought uh, really kind of just a boring race I thought we had in store for us. But uh, a little bit of spice there for Charles, and then the Mercedes were able to come through. Uh, and then beyond that, I had Magnussen getting into the points. I was really hoping that he would be able to show some of that pace that we saw in qualifying during the race and uh, start to make a storm back up front. But uh, he wasn't able to do that, unfortunately. And with the strategy not playing out for them, uh, he didn't end up in the points at all. So that was uh, one of mine. And then the other was Signs top five. Um, and I did when I when I predicted this. I said Signs at five. I didn't think that he'd be able to catch up to the front runners. Uh, but he'd, he'd kind of fill into that gap between the, the front runners and the midfield, and uh, he did finish exactly fifth. So uh, good for him. Uh, probably not what he was hoping for. I'm sure he was hoping to get up on the podium, but uh, still a pretty good result in the end. Yeah, you nailed that signs one being, being five exactly. That was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, for my top three, I had Verstappen, Charles, and Hamilton. Uh, I just thought Max just seems to always have the upper hand in the races, uh, so he actually did end up winning. Uh, so I got that part of it right at least uh and then hamilton was on the podium hamilton i i keep getting confidence in him being on the podium because he you know along with just the entire mercedes team have built the most reliable car and so i always know he's going to finish the race yeah and at this point like we talked about earlier you have the red bulls and the ferraris making mistakes battling with each other and then mercedes capitalizing on them mm-hmm. uh as for I, as for my two actual predictions for the race i had double mclaren points which i did it right there i thought ricardo was close enough to the top 10 qualifying and then started 10th to where he would be able to keep it in the points i thought they had enough pace all weekend to kind of be in that six through ten range uh which they did fall in uh and then when i have sonoda points so i thought yuki did a great job this weekend as we talked about earlier and in, in the free practices and then in qualifying putting it i believe p8 uh and then i thought for the race he'd better keep it in that eight to ten range i figured he'd probably get passed by Ocon and maybe fall to nine but I thought he'd be able to battle with Ricardo and, you know, hopefully keep it to where they would fight for points and at least bring some points home for Alfatori. Uh, but overall, uh, kind of like we talked about for the past couple of weeks, just a, a tough weekend for Alfatori in general. Yeah. Pierre just never really got there and couldn't capitalize his home race. And then you get that, you know, good qualifying, but then the tough start with Ocon and then ultimately the DNF. But overall, I think we it was a rough week for predictions overall, yeah. I think. I think last Maybe. weekend was a little, little rough. Last weekend probably was a little rougher, but this it wasn't outstanding this week from us. Uh, that Charles crash really, really threw us through a loop. But um, I think kind of going forward here, I don't know if we want to dive into some paddock rumors. I know there's quite a few that's been going on, and then just in general, kind of outside of the actual race itself, things that happened this weekend. Yeah, so the, you know that kind of wraps up the on-track action for this weekend. But with the off weekend and coming into this, we had quite a bit of uh, paddock rumors coming through, and Uh, One of the big ones was Massey leaving the FIA. I think something that uh, couldn't have come quick enough for a lot of people. And uh, he finally decided to to call it quits with the FIA. So um, pretty interesting there. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, don't let the door hit you on the way out, buddy. Like, (laughs) I don't don't know what to say other than we knew this was coming. I think as soon as as soon as last year, the way last year ended, I think any common sense person would have seen that he would have been replaced. I know there were talks pretty on with it. And then he did end up getting fired or. Well, not technically fired. They moved, changed his role. But, I mean, he, let's be honest, he got fired. And then I think he's the type of guy that just, if he wasn't in charge of it like he wanted to be, he was just going to leave anyway. So he did a little time in some other role within the FIA, but ultimately ended up leaving now. Um, but 
I mean, I think it's it was it was coming. Yeah, definitely bound to happen. And then you know a lot of talk about McLaren, and uh, we've had kind of two weeks to hear about the uh, different McLaren drivers getting uh, a little bit of rumor talk about filling that Ricardo seat, and Ricardo coming out and announcing that he's going to stay in the sport, and uh, a little bit of a vague statement there from him, but. He came out and said that he wants to stick with F1 and at McLaren. So uh, hopefully he's going to be able to turn it around and maybe next year have uh, a better start and hopefully be able to carry that throughout the season. And, uh, you know, a personality that a personality that I don't think we want to see leave the sport. Yeah, I definitely think it'd be good for him to be in the sport. You know, there's also exciting prospects of having, you know, maybe an American in the sport like Colton Hurt or someone like that or just someone young come in. Uh, McLaren, the whole McLaren thing, this whole off season or not off season, this whole, you know, off season of finding drivers, I guess, as you'd call it has been so funny. You know, they might as well have claimed that every single driver in every racing series is part of McLaren at this point. Um, I know they, as we talked about in our one episode that they kind of do this thing where they'll pool drivers and then, then decide where they're going to race them in. But, um, it's just funny to see. I think they, I feel like every week a new driver comes out that they're signing with McLaren in some way. Yeah. And you have to wonder, like, how are they going to fill all these spots? But, you know, I think, could we see, you know, like you said, that statement from Ricardo was kind of vague. Is he going to be an F1? Could we see him move to Indy? Could we see him move to Formula E? I know there's been talks of that. You know, obviously we have the Colton Herta movers. Like, could he be coming up to F1? Um, and then along with that, I know this week we heard rumors about Albon maybe being brought in yeah. to McLaren. Vettel being brought over as kind of like a veteran to yeah. McLaren. So I think it's totally up in the air still. I know... You know, Zach Brown came out and said that Ricardo's the guy and he's going to have for next year because we signed the contract. But, like, we all know that's, you know, might not be the case because of how many rumors are swirling around just what driver is going to be driving and what series for McLaren. Yeah, and I think the Vettel rumor especially was, was kind of interesting. I know he wants to be racing at the front, and he kind of came out and said that he doesn't want to really be in F1 unless he's racing for wins. And then Mike Crack, the team principal of Aston Martin, came out and said that he'd really like to see Vettel continue with the team to see all of his hard work pay off with the new uh, spec cars. So uh, we'll see kind of where that goes, but I think Vettel seems to be kind of sticking with Aston Martin. But uh, in addition to that, I think, honestly, Ricardo in uh, IndyCar would be a really interesting thing to see. I think he loves America so much that, that I think that could be a very viable thing for him to be in the future. So... Um, you know, obviously we'll see how it plays out. I'm sure he wants to stay in F1 as long as he can because he, he really seems to love it. But uh, I think that'd be kind of a very good ending spot for him. I think him being in IndyCar would be very exciting. I think I think he has a lot of fans in America just from the show itself. And mm-hmm. he has, you know, outwardly said that he loves America. He likes being here, spending time here. So I think him being in IndyCar would definitely provide some excitement. Um, kind of going into the rest of the weekend here, we had a couple drivers, reserve drivers, kind of stand in for FP1. Uh, so Nick DeVries, uh, in place of Lewis Hamilton in FP1, um, I think he actually looked pretty good. I think he finished in the top 10. Mm-hmm. I know the Mercedes have a pretty good car, but he's one of those guys that's been kind of on the cusp of Formula 1 for so long, it feels like, right? Yeah. He won Formula E last year. He's a Formula 2 champion. Uh, it's probably deserving as a seat of a seat, as many guys are, but, you know, there's only 20 seats, so... Yeah. can't always get one but he's always been right on the cusp and i think if he did ever get his chance in f1 i think he would do pretty well he kind of gives me alex albon those type of people vibes but um and then other than that robert kubica stood in uh for alfred mayo this weekend in fp1 as well yeah pretty pretty typical stand-ins there i think both of those drivers have have definitely stood in before and uh 
yeah, it's interesting to see Nick DeVries come in and, and continue to, you know, perform well in these practice sessions. I think he has a future with the team, but I think, you know, the, the lineup that they have right now is not going to be broken. And I think there is so many young talent, so much young talent coming into the sport. And we look at F2 and, you know, Logan Sargent is another one of the Americans that have been performing really well. And uh, Red Bull have a couple of uh, race winners down in F2. And uh, we just saw one this weekend again. So, uh, you know, we'll see where, where the sport decides to go and how many seats actually open up this off season. But uh, I don't think it'll be too much of a turnover, especially with the new spec cars and uh, kind of the experience with the development uh, being kind of crucial going forward. Yeah, so kind of uh, going into a few other things here, uh, kind of going back to McLaren, uh, we heard from from them that they are switching their focus to 2023 more uh, and kind of slowing the development on this car. And I think that makes sense. I think they've, you know, they're not going to finish higher than P4. Uh, and I don't think they really, it that really matters to them as much being P4 or P5. Um, I think they know what th- they're going to more try to figure out, okay, what are we going to do with Daniel Ricardo and kind of use the rest of the season as a, a testing realm for that. But I think switching the focus now to 2023 and really trying to, you know, develop a car like Ferrari did where they're going to get themselves in a place where they can win races. Uh, and to me, that's something they need to do. I know Lando signed that long contract with them, but I think they need to be able to produce a car for him soon here that's capable of winning races because I think he's someone who's deserving of having a car like that. Uh, and I think he's someone that could fight for the title with Max and all of them. So I think that's definitely a smart move on their part. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, Norris in the post-race show made a really interesting statement saying, yeah, they've moved focus, focus to 2023, but they haven't necessarily brought all the upgrades that they've developed to the actual car on track yet. And so, uh, you know, potentially we'll see some trickle in in the next few weeks or maybe after the break, depending on, you know, what the development of the car is going to bring. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what teams start to look forward and, and what teams continue to battle it out with uh, other teams in the standing. And then on top of that, we've seen some longevity in the sport uh, between Alonzo and Lewis Hamilton, both uh, reaching some milestones. We had Alonzo reach the most laps raced in Formula One in the history of the sport, which is uh, very impressive. And I think yeah. something that we'll continue to see him uh, potentially going on to next season looks pretty promising. And then uh, Lewis Hamilton racing in his 300th ever Grand Prix, which is uh, kind of an incredible stat to think about. That's just so many weekends of racing. And, uh, you know, we have longer longer seasons now, but when he first started, you know, not as many seasons, and, and he's still continuing to, and hopefully for, for a long time with uh, his talent. Yeah, I think if looking at the Lewis 300 thing is probably the most interesting because I think it puts him in the top. I think it puts him with, I think there's he's a sixth driver to reach 300 races. And obviously everyone knows there's that stat out there, um, and they talked about it a lot in the last couple of races, that no one has won a race past like their 300th race. Um, I would think Lewis would probably break that. But I think you just look at his career, you know, winning a race in every season, coming in his rookie season, and dominating right away and could have won the title that season and then you know just like the biggest number to me that jumps out obviously is you know 103 wins in 300 races you know over one third of the time he's winning over that long of a career in f1 i think is probably his you could argue his most impressive record is just being that consistent over that long a time so congrats to him 300 races that's you know a big deal yeah i think another thing that stands out from him is not even a statistic from his racing career, but the fact that he went to Mercedes when Mercedes was uh, really a, a bottom tier team, they weren't really producing race wins or anything. And uh, his ability to lead that team into an absolutely dominant 
uh, force within Formula One for uh, as long as as they were winning championships and he was winning championships. Yeah. Just uh, an overall, you know, really says a lot about his character and his leadership ability within that team beyond his talent. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then one final thing. So we actually have a little bit of insider information here for the first time on the podcast uh, from a source close to a Formula One team. Uh, so in terms of a little bit of news about Williams, um, and again, this is coming from an actual inside source here, uh, they have been or are in the process of getting bought by someone. We do not know who, but they're in the process of getting bought by someone. Uh, we would both guess probably Audi or someone like that would be the team that are buying them. Uh, and they have basically a three to five year plan in place. Uh, and this source that we talked to who works closely with the Williams team uh, has told us that he thinks based on the plan they have and how the buyout's going to work and who's going to be acquiring them that in the next three to five years, he thinks they can be, you know, fighting more towards the top and being con- consistently in the points and, you know, hopefully even challenging for race wins. Yeah, very interesting, uh, you know, impressive insider information here from from your favorite source of F1 content. But, uh, you know, I think it is interesting to think about who might be buying them out, who might be entering the sport. We've heard a lot about Andretti at the beginning of this season and uh, kind of an American presence would be uh, a pretty pretty good thing for the sport, especially with their desire to, to get more into America. Uh, and then Audi, we've heard a lot about, and even Honda, we've heard uh, still sticking close to the sport, but I think they're more of a, a wanting to do an engine manufacturing process uh, when the new regulations for engines come around in 2026. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, Williams, it'll be interesting to see where they go. They're, they are kind of stagnant at the back of the grid, especially after coming off of last season and having all the time that they had in the wind tunnel and the uh, amount of money to spend on development. Um, you know, it's weird that it's this season, especially after we heard uh, a couple teams, I think Alfa Romeo came out and said this is one of the first years that they've been profitable, which is kind of impressive. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's turning around or uh, what the deal is there, but we'll see. Yeah, hopefully it's something that they can, where they can get back to, the, you know, the old Williams, you know, they were very dominant in the 90s. And even, um, you know, I was talking about this with some people, even if you look back at when Bottas was still there before he came to Mercedes, you know, him and Massa were getting them, getting them on the podium and were fighting for points every weekend and stuff. So even just seeing them get back to that point, I think would be good for the sport. Yeah. And with such that, that rich history, you know, it'd be uh, awesome to see them start to turn that around and, and, you know, potentially keep the name of Williams. That'll be a development that, that we have yet to hear anything about, but uh, we'll definitely keep a close eye on it. And, um, you know, I don't know when that when that sale would take place or, or when they would, you know, have that transition, but we'll definitely be interesting to see, you know, what connections they keep. If Do they keep the Mercedes link or uh, do they move away from that or what? Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, as we've joked about before on this, the first step is moving on from Mr. Latifi yeah. and finding a second driver that uh, can actually give you something out there. Uh, but speaking of funny drivers and funny things, uh, let's go into our funny happening segment for the week. So I think uh, for me, probably the funniest thing of the week personally was the crash from Leclerc was not funny, but him having the uh, radio go on after and him screaming, no, yeah, in uh, like, like he was like being attacked or something was all time funny. I know he came on after and said he didn't know his radio was going to be broadcast, which every time you crash the radio gets broadcast right away. So I don't know how he didn't know that, but it was a, 
no that I've never heard from like a professional athlete before. It was like a no that like a little kid would yell like if they couldn't get ice cream or something. It was one of those radio messages that you hear and you can just feel the passion coming through it. And if you didn't hear it, we'll, we'll throw in a clip here. Yeah, so just a, a very passionate no after that crash, and uh, he obviously knows the implications in the standings going forward, and he talked about after the race in the post-race show that, uh, you know, if he loses the championship by 30-some points, then he knows exactly where it comes from, and uh, really an uncharacteristic mistake from him. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then another moment we had was um, the post-race show with Will Buxton. Uh, so it's good to see him back in the post-rate show. He's doing with DeVries, which I always like them doing the shows together. I think they do a great job. But if you remember back to Austria, Lando actually asked Will why there was never ice pops, or as the people in Britain call them, ice lollies, uh, on the show anymore. I think it's something they used to do in the post-race thing and in the paddock before, but they haven't in a while. So this week, Will Buxton brought ice lollies uh, to the post-rate show on F1 TV, and was just giving them out to all the drivers that came on the show. Uh, so I think that was a fun thing they did. All the drivers seemed to love it. They all took one. Uh, I mean, they even got Lewis on for a question, and Lewis even took one. And I know I saw a picture on Twitter of him in the press conference of, like, the podium and stuff after eating the ice pop and talking about how it, you know, brought back good memories to him of when he was a kid. So that was definitely cool to see. And I think a, a funny moment definitely where, you know, Lando was just joking around being like, I wish they had these back. And then Will Buxton brought this giant cooler full of ice pops yeah we'll see hopefully going forward they can continue that i think it's something fun that that makes drivers draw towards the post-race show and hopefully uh gets more opinions on there and hopefully uh has them stick around a little longer but uh yeah we'll see going forward definitely enjoy the post-race show and gives you some some good insight to uh what happened in the race and what the drivers are thinking post-race yeah for sure well with that uh, i think we're about wrapped up i hope you enjoyed this uh, episode and and learned a little bit about what happened this weekend and uh, we'll see you next weekend in Hungary. We'll see you in Hungary.